Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. in bears fans to another episode of bear bones we wish it was under better circumstances but it is wrapping up a season another <laughs> one of disappointment one that started with relative excitement i mean i think i was and you were at the beginning of the season right danny yeah i mean and truth be told like they kind of met expectations just not in the way it was supposed to feel kind of thing just not in the way it was supposed to feel right like they started bum slaying at the end and they got to their, I think their over under for Vegas was what six and a half or seven and a half. I think it was. Yeah. And they hit seven. They kind of hit expectations. Like there's a reason Vegas is very good at this guys. Like you can obviously make the, well, if, if this, then that, well, yeah, if your, your horse had an engine, it'd be a, it'd be a car, you know, like, you can do these what if games all the time, but the fact of the matter is they did live up to expectations and it just doesn't feel as good as it should because we didn't see what we wanted out of the team specifically offensively. I think everyone would have rather just had the 32nd ranked off defense and seen the the third year leap as it were out of Justin Fields. Instead we saw marginal growth and not enough of what we truly wanted to see out of the quarterback. It's interesting, you know, hitting on that point where where Justin ended up falling, because by most metrics, right, he's the bottom third of the league quarterback right now, whether you're looking at just straight up or even advanced for the most part. As uh, a passer, yeah. As a passer, as, as a pure passer. Good good mm-hmm. note on that. Um, and if he was top middle third of the league, where would this team be? So it's interesting to look back at where we were thinking, oh, they're going to be a six, seven, eight win team and seeing where they ended up <laughs> and like, if you slid Justin up and if he was able to where they'd end up, it, it the maths is interesting on, on that thought process. It is. It, it, and like I said, it doesn't feel how you think it should feel, especially because I think just because, of, especially when you factor in that first month of the season and everything that went down, like 
I know we're going to get to the press conference more, but I love that the fact that they they brought up that they navigated tough waters or whatever. It's like you really can't bring up the fact that you lit the house on fire and then chose to run into the on fire house. Like, you know, like, oh, we faced so much adversity. Like, what is this? When a stranger calls, the call came from inside the house. You're the reason for your own adversity. Yeah, you know, whether it's trading away, you know, Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, uh, you know, uh, Roquan Smith, whether the it's coach, the design the, of the offense in that first the, year under Matt Ebert. The, the, coaches you, the coaches you hired yep. that caused the animosity within. Like, I, I, I get it. We're going to get to it all, guys. Yeah. Believe me. <laughs> so we'll dive for, into this press conference. Um, I pulled some quotes, probably too many to be honest, but so I'll jump around and so I'll read them <laughs> off and then kind of get, we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit, but you know, first regarding Eberflus's leadership, right? Cause Matt Eberflus is back as the Chicago bears head coach. Uh, Paul said we had some adversity early in the season, in the middle of the season, his ability to stand strong and keep them together was incredible. His ability to adapt and adjust as we went along. He had a sudden change in terms of his role. And I thought we benefited from that. I thought we got better from that. Point. And as Danny talked about earlier, just in terms of his leadership and stability, I really think that the head coach needs to be able to captain the ship when the seas are stormy and really keep everything settled. When you go through hard times, he can keep everyone together. To me, that's like the critical piece. In a big market like this, you have to be strong. I mean, if he's jumping off the boat and everyone else starts to jump off the boat, it's a hot mess. So the stability was a big piece of it. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think that's a you can read that almost two ways, depending on your own confirmation biases, right? You could read that as that's totally Justin Fields staying. He's, this is the, the endorsement. He helped navigate the ships when everything was kind of starting to be under duress within Hallis Hall. Or you could read it as, is he calling out a certain quarterback prospect who's had some character smoke starting to billow about him as he leaves the Trojan program, you know, like, Hey man, we might be gearing up to take you. You better get your mind right. Cause this, the, this fan base, this city, it's this it's not very forgiving at times. Yeah, it was interesting because definitely multiple point times in this press conference, Bulls talked about the big market mm-hmm. in terms of being able to handle that. Now, again, it kind of depends on how you want to take it. But I, the truth is it is tough. It's hard to be a player in a market such as Chicago. The other thing, too, is it's tough. I was definitely, and I still kind of am, in the Fireman Eberflus camp. I think it was not as much of an Eberflus issue as much as a, I just kind of wanted a reset of the trajectory that the Bears had created where you always have a piece lingering that, you know, in the cycle of suck where, you know, lame duck head coach, the quarterbacks left over something mm-hmm. of the nature. But I do understand to an extent what polls is going after. And also, cause Warren talked about it a little bit too. I didn't, I don't think I pulled that quote, but Warren talked about how one of the reasons they kept Eberflus was, that continuity and how, you know, they did see growth and how you don't want to be jumping from like head coach to head coach. And the ones that you've seen have been sustained, sustained success. Now, obviously you take like a Mike Tomlin who's never had a losing record in 17 years. It's easy to not move from your head coach, you know, but at the same time, we knew what this was going to be. We just talked about it. They full reset in Matt Eberflus's first year. And I do kind of agree as some have said that if you're trying to talk about keeping Justin and give him a pass for that year, don't you do the same for Eberflus? I mean, and to, to some extent, you, it's they're just held to a different standard. Like, is that fair? That no, it's know, not. Bulls it, creates a roster but, that is unwinnable, and, and Eberflus takes this dinky tugboat of a ship trying into these seas. No, no. I mean, 
but professional sports and to even more grandiose ex- extent, life ain't fair. Like, like I would love to see Justin back. I know it's probably, we'll call it non-zero to be nice that he is back. Like I keep see, seeing and even having people that I've talked with in my personal life who are like, well, what if they take a quarterback in the first with one of those first round picks? It's like, you're not doing that. You're caught that you're inherently causing a divide. I think the big issue that we're running into here when it comes to Justin Fields, especially is they didn't, they didn't use the number one overall pick on a quarterback last year. Right. The you're, you passed on those guys. If you do it again with the trade down, you're passing on these guys and there's still no connection truly from this quarterback to this front office and coaching staff. So that's where I think it gets really murky for Justin Fields. And the reason Matt Eberflus is getting a pass because he is the handpicked coach. We know that now. All these stories earlier in the year, I think we can just kind of throw them away of this coach being forced on Ryan Poles when things are starting to get tough. Like we we had the report, I believe it was from the CBS or ESPN article that said Poles when hired had – the autonomy to expand the search outside of these three candidates, and he chose not to. He had the chance, again, to potentially move on with two years remaining, according to Brad Biggs, on this initial deal, and he chose not to. This is his coach, like it or not. I'm gonna, I push back on that slightly in that sure. if you got a brand-new job, like, hey, you're being hired – and you have this committee that's saying, hey, by the way, these are the three people that we would like you to hire. If you really want to bring someone in, you can. You know, we'll look at them. We'll put them through the ringer. But these are the three. And I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing. I don't know how the conversation went. These are the three that we want you to hire. Like, I don't know that. Am I really going to bring in another candidate at that point? I almost feel like you're, you feel like, no, these are, I got to pick from these three. I, I think that's a little tough situation you're put in. Okay, sure. Then, but now you've got the you've now you've got the sample size. You've got your data points after thirty four games of this. Oh, and now he's committed to him. I mean, and now, and now they're okay. That's more what I was getting at. Yeah. Like we can't we can't no longer like for, as far as I'm concerned, this is Flu's V two. He's gonna have a new coordinator on offense. He's gonna have a new coordinator on defense. He's gonna have a whole new offensive staff outside of Chris Morgan. It sounds like. <laughs> so, do you think? So let's say I'm going to give you two different scenarios and you just kind of yeah, sure. um, let's say you and both of them are going to be you draft a new quarterback because that's the only time I think it's really relevant. You draft a new quarterback and you go you have four wins. I don't know why you have four wins. Is Does Flus is he safe? And if so, if he's not, is Pole safe? And then the second situation is, I mean, they go whatever, kind of more or less the same. I mean, maybe like they go they get nine wins or whatever the case may be like. So is so the first is Flu safe if you get four wins with a rookie quarterback at the helm, or is he gone? I think if there's only four wins next year with a rookie quarterback, I think they're cleaning house. Period. So I you're saying so. both Flu's and Poles would be gone? I season. think that I think I think it'd be over with. You can't that that's a massive regression when you're going to be having a fourth place schedule. So then, what if you go back to like what I get the second option? I was kind of saying where it's it's more or less the same. You basically took Justin out, you replaced him with a rookie, and got the same production. Yeah, I think that's forgivable. So then your Flus is back. Flus is back. back. Okay. But I also think, and we'll get more into this later, I think 
you've put yourself into this weird corner of this lame duck coach where you almost, you either had to fire him or you're almost forcing this. Like you might have to tack a year onto his deal to attract good coordinators. That, and that's, yeah, it's obviously something we ought to dive into because it's yeah. an interesting scenario, the pros and cons of this offensive coordinator job. Um, switch to Warren for a second here. So War, uh, Kevin Warren said on the stadium, the state of the franchise, I know for me, I'm a very quiet, impatient person. I don't voice my impatience, but I am extremely impatient. I'm competitive. I want to win, but I also want to do it with integrity and style and grace and class and humility. Now, two combos, one's the stadium and one's winning a, a football game. You know, how does, what do you think about that regarding the stadium? And what do you think about that in terms of keeping flus in terms of, of he calls himself impatient? I don't know because I don't know his role really. Yeah, is he really? I don't know how. I genuinely, I genuinely don't know how empowered he is to be the president of football, or is he just a more verbose, well-spoken, more powerful feeling individual than Ted Phillips ever was? Because he does his his presence, the way he carries himself is definitely night and day in comparison to what Ted, Ted Phillips was, right? Well, it's because he washed his car this morning. <laughs> he he meditated. He prayed. He's been up since 3.30. He's one of these guys that cuts his day into three days somehow by manipulating time and space. He's that guy. Oh, my God. I, I like Kevin Warren. I have no reason to dislike him right now. But I just – I don't know what his thoughts mean if I don't have like any baseline or essence of thought of of what he does there because it feels like at this moment he's focusing almost purely on the stadium. He's a competitive guy. I'm sure he wants to see the Bears win, and he made it sure that we all know he's taking notes, but it doesn't feel like anything's really changed. It's just this the way it went about. The way they went about this press conference, with the exception of George McCaskey not talking, felt just Thank very God. bears, right? Yeah, it's it's a it's a valid point. I don't know how big of a seat at the table that he uh, uh, Kevin Warren has. Obviously, you know, compared to because it was a weird again, very very bearsy. You had Ryan Poles, then you bring in Kevin Warren late. So is Warren above him in all decisions? Just stadium? Just is there football? Was Kevin Warren pounding the table to let Foose go? I'm, we have no idea. But in terms of the stadium, uh, Bears staying in Chicago, uh, Kevin Warren said, what intrigues me about downtown is I strongly believe Chicago is the finest city in all the world. Very rarely do you get the opportunity to have such a beautiful downtown with a vibrant business community, with an absolute beautiful lake and the energy that goes along. Is there reality to that? Is there a chance that the stadium is built and the Chicago Bears stay in Chicago? Or is this a, hey, Arlington Heights, get your ish together? statement i think it's it can be a bit of both but more trending towards hey give us what we want because we're being cheap arlington heights like i don't think arlington heights and what's being purported out of there that they're anywhere near in the wrong for what they're asking for they want the bears to pay their share and the bears don't want to because as has been well documented by several different people the bears family wealth does not lie in the fact that they're Josh Harrison worth $8 billion in liquid assets and they're cash. Jerry Jones, you know, oil yeah, they, they are a family run business yeah. whose team is worth five, $6 billion. And they don't really have cash on hand to do things like this. 
That's why they're looking for the public handout. And the Bears don't want to pay for it all on their own because they literally just can't. And for those who aren't uh, as well-versed in, in terms of what's happening with that whole Arlington Heights situation, the Bears own the land, but the tax, the tax went up. Right. The property tax skyrocketed. <laughs> it was like as soon as they bought it, the, the Arlington Heights was like, oh, just kidding. Now it's this. So um, they, the Bears just feel like they kidding. got the wool pulled over their eyes. Arlington Heights is like, I mean, you you got the big pockets and it's this standoff right now. Yeah, it's like a staring contest. Who's going to blink first? In terms of the quarterback situation, to draft or to not draft a quarterback, Ryan Pohl said, we are information gathering mode right now. We are going to turn over, turn over every stone to make sure that we're going to make a sound decision for our organization. I did think Justin got better. I think he'd lead this team. But at the same time, there's a unique situation where I have to look and our staff has to look at everything. And that's exactly what we're going to do. And that's the same with free agency. We're going to look at our free agents. Me and my personal staff do evaluations and make the best decision we can for this organization to take the next step. Iberflus talked about Justin. We love where Justin is right now. He's done a good job growing the interceptions, keeping those down, the sack totals. He's doing a good job with that, having his eyes down the field. He's done a wonderful job with that, of being able to deliver some strikes down there, and he'll continue to grow as we grow as a football team. Does any of this matter? <laughs> I kind of just want to say no. It sounds like it's just a way of keeping Justin's value as high as possible if they choose to move on. That's what that sounds like to me, but... And I think there's truth. There, I think there's truth to what Ryan Pohl said. No, he's not. He's gathering, not, right? He's not lying yeah, to anyone. No, he's I, not lying to you. He's not telling you the whole truth, but he's not lying to you. And they're definitely in any situation decision that any of us make. If we're deciding what dog to get, which by the way, I'm getting a dog on Tuesday, but that's a whole. Oh, congratulations, buddy! Yeah. Um, you're leaning towards a certain breed of dog. You're leaning towards. Uh, and if you're looking at a litter, there's one that maybe has your eye more than another one. But that doesn't mean you're set, right? Maybe you do go to the breeder ultimately for that last check, and then this one that you didn't realize all of a sudden does speak to you a little bit more. The same could be said here. They're leaning one way or the other, whether it's a rookie or Justin. They're not telling you. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to get more information that maybe changes stuff as we go down the road. As Danny talked about earlier, uh, you know, the whole take uh, being able to handle the Chicago. And I don't know if I pulled the quote on this one, but being able to, you know, the person. The person really matters for Ryan Poles. And Justin's a great person. There's maybe some question marks about some of the rookies or rookie in this draft. So all that's going to matter. Mm -hmm. I think they're just going to do their due diligence. And I also think I'm sure you're going to get to the four quarterbacks oh, yeah, quote that, that Courtney Cronin called them out on. I think, I think that specific quote is being very much just completely overanalyzed, but we'll get there. It's so oh, – yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Okay, so why would an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator candidate want to come here, right? It's a very mid-average team. Uh, Flus claims, though, he's gotten multiple calls on both. Even Flus said, you know, I think they're both very attractive based on the personnel we have and based on the rise of the team, and you can certainly see that. The progress, and as we can visit with these guys, we'll be able to see that. You, uh, you know, we're always aware of other people's rosters and where the vision for the team is going, and our ours is definitely in a positive way. He said the defensive staff has been retained along with offensive line coach Chris Morgan, tight ends coach Jim Dre, and assistant offensive line coach Luke Steckel. Danny, what do you take from that? And is is the offensive coordinator job hurt by the fact it's like you're getting three people shoved at you, or is it bolstered too much by some of the positives of the job? Um, I think that – so are we only di diving into the offensive coordinator at this moment? No, do both, do both. 
So defensively, I think it's a lot more appealing, especially with the route that we're going with defensive guys, even getting a shot at head coach anymore. Like we've only heard Aaron Glenn and, and, uh, Mike McDonald, I think, being pulled for interviews. And really, let's be completely for... honest. Aaron Glenn's getting interviews because of the Ray role. Yeah, yeah, which I can only imagine how that feels. I couldn't even begin to empathize with that. It's just, it's the way of the league, unfortunately. And what, what a rule constructed in good faith is just being used as a checkbox. Yep. But um, I don't know. I feel like. Like, I know he wouldn't be the most popular name, but, like, a Mike Caldwell would interest me for that job because he comes from the 40 front with the Niners and under and uh, the Jets under um, under Salah. Like, and you'd be taking over a unit that I think is probably going to be, at the very least, like a top seven or eight unit next year. Does, and, does Matt Eberflus need to be calling plays for you? He doesn't need to be. I think that's the thought process, like that we think that's going to happen. But if he wants to be the best head coach he can be, calling plays and being the primary game planner for a defense, you're going to have oversights. It's the same thing as like when everyone, I, I maintain, like, even if you go offensive head coach guy, like being the primary play caller and the guy that does the game design and the walkthroughs and, and the, and the like the play implementation, like that takes away from your oversight of the whole team. Like not many guys can successfully call plays, be the offensive play caller or the defensive play caller and be the CEO. It's a very, very hard balance and not many guys do it well. And and on top of that, now it's going to be almost even harder to do that or even go the other way because now after being burned in a way by the whole Alan Williams mm-hmm. situation and seeing the success that you, Matty Duflus, had when you decided to call plays, to hand the keys back over after someone crashed your car, it's going to be really tough. <laughs> it is. And it almost leans to like, wouldn't it, doesn't it feel like the odds on move is going to be like, we'll talk to a couple people, but just moving Phil Snow into that role and keeping play calling. He's already there. The biggest question I think for Snow yeah. is how much does he want the day-to-day grind of being a DC? Yeah, because he's what, 66 years old, I think? 65 yeah. years old, something like that? And like, even Matty Bufus talked about that. He said, I need someone who's going to be in the defensive coordinator room, like leading the room when I'm in the quarterback's room and I'm in the offense room and I'm being the CEO role. So whoever's signing up for DC, I mean, you're signing up for DC. Right. You, you're going to be running the – it's your defense. Yeah. That you may just have the – play calling strip from you on Sundays, Mondays, and Thursdays. Yeah, that sounds fun. That's the best part of it. Um, oh, and then in terms of the offense now, so some of the pros and cons, right? Pro, for an offensive coordinator, you are, you get to kind of have a say in who might get taken at 1-1 or even have a say in Justin Fields. Pro, you, yeah. you yeah, it's a launching point potentially to a, a head coaching job. Con, you, maybe your head coach gets fired in a year or two. Yeah, I, I think the the pool for offensive coordinator is going to be much drier than we all think. Like we all see the fact that you're going to be able to choose between Drake May and Justin Fields and and Caleb Williams and maybe to a lesser extent Jaden Daniels if someone falls in love with him because it sounds like he's starting to skyrocket up people's boards too. But there's just something about like the lack of like if you go there and these kids 
aren't the cat's pajamas or Justin Fields doesn't take the leap if he, for some reason, is the guy they choose. What does that make you look like if you underperform and then you get canned because the Bears put you in this predicament? It, it's a really weird balance, which is why I said because of the, the corner the Bears have backed themselves into, you almost have to extend Eberflus to get the best hire, which would then lead to the best course of action of developing your new quarterback or continue Justin's development. Like, And it's, I just don't know that they're going to do that. The thing about this current situation, too, is more so than I think previous years, I think I wouldn't say the Bears are in an advantageous position where there's a couple of names of offensive coordinators available that check boxes that don't normally get checked, right? Because normally your concern is I don't want a guy that hasn't called plays in the NFL before. But it's hard to not do that. It's hard to find that if you're successful, you're either still calling plays or you're a head coach candidate or the other way where you're a retread and you're like, well, I don't want someone that got fired from doing it because you didn't do a good job. So why would I want, why would you do a better job here? Yeah. Now, like, and we'll get to it, but there are a couple of names that kind of float between the two where they're not necessarily retreads, but they're also not necessarily like they've, they've called plays before. Yeah, the and they're not, they're not really hot commodities. Yeah. For some reason or another. And maybe mm-hmm. they're willing to, take a risk in this situation because they need that step up to potentially be a head coach or something. Correct. Yep. Um, This is the part now where you were talking about earlier polls on whether or not an incoming OC needs to know the plan for a quarterback, right? Like when you're in those interviews, do you need to tell them, Hey, we're taking a rookie. Hey, we're taking, we're looking at this rookie. Hey, we want Justin back. Peace poll said, I love it because you have to tell us, what you are doing to do going to do for these four different types of quarterbacks. I want to hear that. And it's really important to see the versatility and the adaptability in their teaching and the way they implement a plan scheme adjust. Now, on top of that, you know, in interviews, you can't give away your plan. You can't be like, Hey, we're going to take a quarterback. We're going to, it's between these two. Who would you like? And what's the plan? Cause you know, one of these, <laughs> these OC candidates that does get the job runs back to their team and says, Oh, by the way, the bears are taking Jake. Yeah. Drake X, May. Y, or Z. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, you already have Ian Cunningham, who is going to be <laughs> walking out the door soon and potentially to the commanders who have the second pick. I mean, it's already a funky situation there. Yes, it is. Um, but with that being said, right, I do think it's weird that you said that he said four types of quarterback. Now, you could take it so many different ways. It could be. But the fact he specifically said four. Yeah. Is, but does it mean four first round grades? Is it three first round grades in in Nick's Daniel or not Nick's in May Daniels? And Williams, is it literally stylistically you can kind of boil down how guys play quarterback to four separate styles of quarterback? Which is true, yeah. Like, I just don't know how to take it. And, like, again, this is a there's a lot of confirmation bias going on in here of what you you're taking what you want to hear and how you want to hear it. Like, and big ups, props, however you want to say it to Courtney Cronin for really like having that catch her attention and being like, hey. Ryan, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> what did you mean by four? Like, and then force him to elaborate on it. Like, but I just I don't know what it means. And I don't really think it's worth spending all of our time dissecting a quote where it might have just been a misspeak. Or maybe he told you exactly what he said. Right. Because because it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Like, let's say we all of a sudden could pin down exactly what he meant. Um, and 
it was in fact like here are the four it's Drake May, it's Caleb Williams, it's Jane Daniels, and it's keeping Justin. Let's if that was the four for the sake of argument, does it? It doesn't really matter. I mean, because that's what that makes sense. It makes sense for them to dive into, hey, what are your plans for a rookie in general? What are your plans for these rookies that you? What do you think of the rookies that you've seen? Mm-hmm. Right, because you've been a part of this a little bit. The other layer being, what do you think of Justin, and how would you make Justin work if you went that way? Give us your spiel. I mean, that's what all coordinator interviews and all head coach interviews for that matter. That's what Matt Eberflus had to do when he was saying, this is what I would do with my, my plan for Justin last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I, I'd say it's a fun quote, read into it what you will, but I wouldn't start over analyzing it until we know more. One thing I do find to be interesting, and, and you hear this a lot when you hear, listen to um, some of the people, some of the scouts really talk when you hear the Dane Bruglers, when you hear uh, the, uh, Robert Mays, Nate Tice's of the world, especially, you know, the athletic groups that a lot of these coaches haven't really even fully dove into the film yet. Cause the season just ended. Uh, and because they're every week that they're, you know, Monday or Sunday night into Monday, they're looking at the next week. So let's say for the sake of argument, um, I'm just going to take a, a name, uh, a Shane Waldron. How much has he really watched Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jane Daniels, Penix tape so far this year? He probably hasn't. You don't have time. You're you're, you're right. playing the season. So I'm curious as to what that interview is even going to be. Like, give us a quick spiel on what you think for Caleb Williams. You've watched very little tape for. Yeah, like, hey, I've watched two broadcast games of this guy in passing. Here's my thoughts. Like, so I so that's to go to your point. Like, four different types of quarterback. Like, no, they're not. They shouldn't roll into this interview and have a plan for every individual college quarterback if that's kind of the way you might be going because there, there shouldn't be you you spent you, you were looking at the year yep um moving on just going to throw a couple quotes out here that i think are important just for uh, listeners to have and then a, a couple more to react to jalen johnson contract and free agents right brian pole said i feel really good about the situation jalen's not going to go anywhere and we'll work through it to get something done it sounds like it should jalen said the same thing Ryan pole said the same thing it should get done we're just going to table that until it happens um one thing that was more interesting though um, when they were talking about free agents, they talked specifically about Darnell Mooney. He said, yeah, Mooney wishes he played a little better this year and things went better for him, made some more connections, but I know he's going to bounce back and have a really good year. And something to the effect of you know, he might have to go out, look for a deal, and then potentially you know circle back when once the market kind of gets settled. Hearing that, if they're moving on to right another quarter, if they move on to rookie quarterback, does it make sense for the Bears to bring a Darnell Mooney back? Because just locker room connectivity and giving him another shot because they're saying it was a Justin issue or a Getsy issue and not a Mooney issue. Yeah. I mean, for the right number, I don't think he's going to get near what he wants. How could you? I mean, like just based on the space on what we yeah. saw. Right. Especially when the, the specifically the last what third of the season, it was pretty evident that he was kind of just going through the motions, clearly a little bit aggravated to say yeah. the least. So uh, unless he just wants to be just done with Chicago and gets a nice offer from the chiefs to be their wide receiver too. Um, yeah. Not necessarily. Don't think he's coming back. Um, last thing really to highlight, I thought was Braxton Jones comments, right? Polls really didn't commit to him being a starter. Um, he said, I thought Braxton did a good job. I was proud of the progress. He did a nice job of continuing to get better. Uh, I do believe he's a starting left tackle, but if it comes down to a situation to increase competition and that's what's best for us, we'll do that. I mean, there's a couple of really, really good left tackles in the draft that you could potentially snag at pick nine. Yeah, if Joe Alter, Olufashanu falls, why not? 
So it's, I think the reason I highlighted this quote is because I think it continues to show that Poles is not a emotional, hey, I found this guy in the fifth round, so he's our guy and I'm, I'm going to fall in love with him. It's, I think he's going to consistently make what the, 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 the action that's best for the Bears. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. Then we're going to uh, pop into some confidence. And then finally, these offensive coordinator candidates. Confidence meter. Basically, just a couple of things. This is going to be a pretty quick session. I'm going to say a name. Danny, you tell me on scale of 0 to 10. Zero being uh, not confident whatsoever. Ten being super duper confident uh, in terms of this person or this uh, category's standing in the team. And we'll say uh, just over the next year. Okay. So Ryan Poles, how confident are you in him that what he's doing is this is the right direction that we're headed? Uh, before the whole way the coach retention went down, I probably would have said eight or nine. I'm probably closer to a six and a half or a seven at the moment. Looks like Mason saw a bug in his bourbon. Oh, I see. Like, first of all, it's rye, but you're close. And I don't know. There's like little stringy things. But to be <laughs> fair, I did smoke it before the show, so it could just that be some of that. Could be that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cherry wood smoke. Ooh, jealous. Um, Matt Eberflus, confidence. So I'm probably skewed because I genuinely don't think Eberflus is a complete and total moron. I think he's a solid football coach who's just limited. Like, I know you and I were talking offline, like texting each other. It just sounds like what you say about your kid who, like, just isn't doing really well in math. It's like, he's really, (laughs) really nice kid. I swear he's smart. He's just limited. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's like you're introducing, you're trying to set your buddy up with one of your, your wife's friends or whatever. Like, she's really nice. Just limited. <laughs> Just limited. Like, but we were talking, uh, we were texting each other. Like, can you see the confetti falling down around Matt Eberflus? Yeah. And I really, really struggle with seeing the confetti falling down around that guy. Could it? Sure. Maybe, maybe this becomes Sean McDermott with a new offensive play caller and a quarterback or a new quarterback or Justin's potential ascension. Sean McDermott doesn't have confetti. No, he doesn't. <laughs> but I'm just that's that's the closest comparison I got to Matt Eberflus. And I think that's part of the reason why I struggle to see the confetti falling because you don't see defensive coordinators really doing that. You don't see like if I if you had named people right now who you see the confetti falling around, right? I mean, it's the Andy Reid, and it's not fair because you've seen success already. But I'm more likely to see Mike McDaniel's. The hold, holding that Lombardi trophy right now that I would Matt Eberflus. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard because right now I think the best coach in football is John Harbaugh, and I don't think it's particularly close at this moment in time, and that was a special teams guy, but that's not the hero that. That guy's got 16 years of experience or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, he's a – talk about breaking the mold. Okay, also, quick sidebar, how has no one else taken a shot on a special teams coordinator seeing his success? Because it's scary. Seriously, I mean that's not no one. Who was it? Was Joe Judge? Was he special teams? Joe, Joe Judge was special teams. Uh, God, years back, Ditko was technically a special teamer. If you want to go way in the way back machine, yeah. Bill Bill Belichick cut his teeth as a special teams guy. So, I mean, there's. So what you're saying is fire Ibrahim, who's higher above a Vendrone. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. <laughs> um, 
confidence in Kevin Warren. Uh, you can kind of take this away, whether it's the stadium, whether it's him overseeing the team, whatever. Stadium, it's going to be a perfect 10 out of 10. I think he's going to get it done for what he wants. I think Kevin Warren is good at this part of it. He's a business guy by trade. Yeah. Confidence in anything else? TBD? Like, to be determined? I can't give you a number because I don't know. I don't know what again. What is he doing besides? I mean, awesomely, you know, donating a million dollars to Lurie Children's Hospital. I mean, hey, shout out because Lurie's helping out my wife and I with our current situation. Fantastic stuff. I mean, like, so the visual, the confidence, the swagger—he's got more of that than Ted Phillips ever had. But so far, we don't really know anything about. Also, much less sweat. Much Uh, less sweat. Last two here, offense. Uh, Again, we're gonna with what we know, which is not a lot. How confident are you that someone's going to come in here and make this a middle-of-the-road offense? I think the offense is further to go than a lot of people want to admit to themselves. Middle-of-the-road, so you're saying like 16 to 18? Are we? Yeah. Is that our benchmark? Yeah, let's say 16 to 18. I don't see why not if you're uh, if you're competent at this. Like, I don't think Luke Getzey was particularly good. Like... Guess he was great at that opening script. Like it, he was great. The first fifteen to twenty plays were awesome, and then it's and like he just couldn't. He couldn't react. He couldn't change. I, I, five and a half, six. I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's that far off because I think the Bears aren't that many pieces away, but it's not as close to being elite as a lot of people maybe would could portray it to be. Yeah. Well, now we're going to move on to these offensive coordinator options uh part of the press conference when asked about you know what why Getsy was let go and then what Iberfus is looking for uh Getsy said the growth and development of the offense to me needed to be better than it was and then when searching for a new office coordinator Iberfus said the most important quality he will look for is someone who is a great teacher I, he thinks it's important because he has to coach the coaches that coach the position I think that's the number one trait of any coach. You have to be able to have the innovation to really look at the players that you have and be able to help enhance and put those guys in a position to succeed and to get explosive and move the ball down the field. So I bring that up uh, simply because when you look at, you might not be able to see this. And if you're listening to the podcast, I would tune in uh, to check it out on YouTube, or you can go to ontapsports.net.com backslash bears backslash Matt Eberflus. I'm going to put a link somewhere. Um, but basically, go to ontapsports.net.com and look up Eberflus' future head coach Bears candidates. Because I snagged this from our friend of the friend of the podcast, uh, Butkus Stats Q. He did a really good when they were when the Bears were looking to hire a head coach. He did a bunch of profiles on the candidates. One of them was Matt Eberflus. This list in particular is highlighting some of the connections that Eberflus has both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And the problem that you have, if you actually do look at this list is while there's a lot of offensive coordinator options or connections, there's really no one that you're going to look at this list and say, Hey, that person could be the, or should be the offensive coordinator of the bears. I mean, some of them are either just too old at this point, like in near death, like Wade Wilson and Jason Garrett's basically should be dead to you for different reasons. You look at the younger <laughs> side of the ball. My man just killed Jason Garrett. <laughs> He's such a terrible coach. Um, you look at the other side of the ball, or it's the y- other side of the spectrum with the younger individuals, like a Gerard Johnson, semi-interesting name, a Clayton Adams, a Luke Steckel, who's currently on the team, of course, already. Um, well, uh, Parks Frazier was an assistant QB coach with the Indianapolis Colts. There's just not names that reverberate in this potential cycle 
And I think that's important to note because in the past, you tend to look at connections of who you're going to hire. But Polls even said he's going to be much more on top of this hiring process. So I think you can almost ignore the connections in a way. I don't know if you would agree with that or not. (laughs) Maybe not ignore, but don't put as much emphasis on. So, yeah, you don't necessarily have to say, well, Floos didn't ever cross with either this person or someone that works directly above this person just because one we saw what that led to led to luke getsy which i i said at the when that happened that was a bad it was rushed basically they interviewed pep hamilton said thank you for meeting the rooney rule and hired luke getsy it was wild um and like i said polls is going to have a much more hands-on approach to this process and as a part of that we're now going to look at our head coaching or not excuse me head coach we have one our offensive coordinator options and Danny's first option was Daryl Bevel, quarterbacks uh, coach and passing coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. Okay, so I want to preface this by saying any and all names you see me bring up are because I just have no confidence in them to go get one of these young, bright guys. They're going to have to settle for someone who's mid, as the kids say. Um, and I find Daryl Bevel, frankly, kind of interesting. He does have a connection to a coach on staff, and that's offensive lineman Chris Morgan. Um like it or not, he should be accredited with developing Russell Wilson. We, like He was the play caller for the back-to-back Super Bowl runs in the, in the Legion of Boom era in Seattle. Um, and now he's spending time as the assistant quarterbacks coach or the, the passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach in Miami under, <clears throat> under uh, Mike, Mike McDaniel. I – think he's fascinating in that I don't think even if he's really good at this should he get another shot to call plays here in Chicago that he's really in any danger of being poached he's on he's in his mid 50s I think the offense he'd run is going to be probably considered pretty basic not not reinventing the wheel kind of thing he's going to run what he knows how to run with maybe some wrinkles from what he's picking up under Mike McDaniel in Miami And I also just find it fascinating that he's got other stops now other than just calling the the offense for Russ and and relying a lot on the the coming of age of Russ and vintage beast mode. Right? He's been in he's been the been in Detroit. He's been in Jacksonville. He's got other stops and he's got learning experiences along the way. And any good employee, any good coach, any whatever in life will tell you you always learn more from failing than you do from success. I'd be interested to see with what he's now learning and the most innovative offense in the NFL, coupled with his prior prior knowledge of successes and failures, what he would look like now, especially with the continuity of an offensive line coach that he has a connection to in Chris Morgan. If you want someone learning from failures, hire Luke Getzey. <laughs> no, can't, can't bring him back. Uh, Bell was really interesting, obviously. Um, like the... The reason he wasn't in my, on my list at this stage was I have a hard time separating how much is him versus how much is just Mike McDaniels like just running it. So, you know, and th- there's other people on this list that might have that problem too, but just the general thought process of like, you know, Mike McDaniels offense, but I mean that you could actually I'm gonna strike that a little bit because you can go back to Mike McDaniel because Kyle Shanahan was calling it and Mike McDaniels wasn't. So we don't know how much, input bevel has on the offense and you're only going to know that based on the interview and who you talk to which will be really interesting Mm -hmm. 
Oh, okay. My turn. I have Eric Bienmi, who is currently the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders slash assistant head coach. So he's an interesting case for a variety of reasons. You know, early on, he had jobs at the University of Colorado and the Vikings before ending up with the Chiefs in 2013 as a running backs coach. In 2018, he was promoted to the offensive coordinator to replace Matt Nagy. The enemy's first season as the Chiefs offensive coordinator. The Chiefs were first in the NFL in yards per game and points scored. The Chiefs scored the third most points in a season in the NFL history with 565. Additionally, Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes became the second quarterback in NFL history, along with Peyton Manning, to throw for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns in a season. And so then BME left the Chiefs, try to get out of that Andy Reid shadow, because like I was just kind of alluding to the bevel, how much is Reid versus how much is, was BME during that uh, that process. Sam Howell led the league in passing yards in his second season, but Howell was later benched for Jacoby Brissett. Poles spent nine seasons with BME when they were with the Chiefs. It's interesting, right, because Poles, as you talked about, Danny, didn't interview BME in 2022 for the head coaching job. So if he was infatuated with him, you'd think that he'd be at least brought in. How much leeway did Poles have? We talked about that already, whole different conversation. You know, maybe it's different for head coach versus OC. Does he believe he'd be a good OC slash assistant head coach, but not a full-time head coach, potentially? Um, some cons. He had some legal issues. There was He was arrested uh, along with Carl, a teammate, uh, following a bar fight in 1988, between 1989 and I was going to say, let's note that most of these, I believe, are 25 to 30-something years. These are old. Are... I'm just bringing these up why no. some people have some trepidation. And, and the reason why they should be brought up for trepidation is because of what just happened in Hallis Hall this past year with – specifically Alan Williams and the murkiness behind what may or may not have happened. Yeah. So there's a couple of traffic violations in there. There's a no contest to a whole firefighter thing where he basically was like pre- preventing him performing duties. And then in 93, again, this is 1993. Um, he was allegedly allegedly harassed a female parking attendants. Uh, so I bring that up because those are some of the cons people talk about with BNME. They also bring up apparently he's not a very good interviewer and it comes off a little pompous in those interviews. Uh, like, I don't need to prove that I, that I need to be here. I, I think he's, I don't think you spend that much time under Andy Reid and have Sam Howell have the success he had and be a part of Patrick Mahomes' sustained success during that time period without knowing a thing or two and being able to work with these different kinds of quarterbacks. I think that's big, right? Because I don't want the best quarterback or offensive coordinator for Justin Fields. I don't want the best offensive coordinator for Caleb Williams. Right? I want the best offensive coordinator, period, no matter who comes in, because you're just a damn good teacher. Yeah, I I mean, I, I have no issue with Biennemi as a thought or idea. I think it's just a very hard sell. One of the reasons to it, to Biennemi or to someone else? To, to Biennemi. I think he's just a hard sell to to the Bears to hire him. I think one of the reasons this might work, right, is because Ron Rivera is fired. So BNA is probably going to get a couple head coaching interviews, I would think. So you probably wouldn't be able to hire him very quickly. So that might be a negative too. Um, But he's one of those ones where he's called plays before. He's had success with those plays. It's just rare, this rare thing where he hitched his wagon, unfortunately, to a Ron Rivera. Does he want to do that again with Matt Eberflus? Yeah, that might be a tough sell, but I don't know how many. If he does get a head coaching gig, what what other offensive coordinator position is more attractive? I don't know. I just I also just don't think he's going to have people banging down his door. It doesn't seem like he's very well liked anywhere he goes. Like my whether it be pompous, maybe he's gruff. I don't know what. I, I genuinely don't know what it is. And if anyone knows, it's going to be polls, right? If, right. If, if polls doesn't bring him in for an interview, it's possible. It's possible Brian Poles can't stand the guy. Yeah. 
Like, we don't know. In a vacuum, with what we know about Eric Bieniemy, he probably should be a head coach already. But something's going on. Something's going on. But absolutely, bring him in, talk to him. Why not? I would not dislike the hire of Eric Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator. I think he could do much worse. He's my uh, number two guy, if I had to kind of rank them right now. So next okay. we got Frank Reich. <laughs> okay, so this one is the pure connection one. Eberflus and Frank Reich know each other. Like, no, no, each other. I think they spent three years in Indy together before Eberflus got the call to be the head head guy of the Bears. I think it's e- also easy to look back on what most recently transpired in Carolina and be like, this guy sucks. And I just think that's a little short-sighted um, in that – you can't just use recency bias of of um, of Carolina and what happened under David Tepper as reasons to just crucify him and, and any and all probability of of even talking to the guy as a potential offensive coordinator. He was the offensive coordinator under Doug Peterson the year they won the Super Bowl when they had to transition from Carson Wentz who was under his tutelage along with Doug Peterson. And I don't even want to give any credit to, to John, John DeFilippo. I think he's been banished from the NFL. Remember how cool John DeFilippo like was. Yeah. And then the transition to Nick Foles, like he did some good things. And I also think we forget that how well he had twilight career, Philip Rivers playing in Indi- in Indianapolis for a spell. Like it wasn't his fault that necessarily that, the Colts kept wanting to try and just compete, 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 and going to get these twilight. I'm just bringing up Q's comment. No, Danny, everything in Indy was clearly fraudulent, and Reich is clearly bad at all things football. Q, go away. At Bucket Stats, <laughs> follow him on Twitter. And uh, I also linked his uh, the website where you can find those uh, that Matt Eberflus profile. Um, My biggest trepidation with him is I think his offense might be a tad bit antiquated. It's very timing-based, very short and medium passing game-based. And there's been rumors he might just be done with football. Guys in his early 60s, early mid-60s. And does he want to keep coaching and doing the day-to-day grind thing? I mean, because if he's being brought in here, I'd assume that Iberflus, while he would probably spend time in the rooms, would probably just let Frank do his thing. Because it's a trust factor. You know he probably trusts him. And that was – I think that will be really interesting. That's another layer. If you got one of these guys, maybe a Frank Reich, maybe an Eric Bienme, you could continue that just assistant head coach, throw that tag on, and that would allow Iberflus to really focus on the defense because while he's, yes, still going to be involved in the offense, he could kind of step back more and be like, no, my assistant head coach has this. Right. I think that pretty much covers Reich, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's him for sure. You know, it's it is interesting. I mean, Q joked about it, but like the the main reason Frank Reich was done in Indy was because he went to bat for Carson Wentz, and like Wentz thing didn't work, and it wasn't that wasn't a Reich issue. I mean, he backed the wrong horse, but I mean, Wentz had his injury stuff. Wentz had his weird lock, his some locker room stuff where teammates didn't particularly like him in Indy for reasons I'm not going to get into. You know, there was. There's stuff going on there that wasn't right. And then you go to the Panthers, like you were talking about, and Tepper's an idiot. Tepper's a wild man. I, I want nothing, would have want nothing to do with him as an owner. Um, but we've also, I think, seen, and it's only been one year, but 
you know, we've heard like who wanted Stroud versus who wanted Young and, and all that. It, the whole thing was weird with the Panthers. So I, I think it was he does get very a bit of a bad rap. It was very strange. I personally still don't want him because like you were, I don't know, it's the eight. I, I think me, he's a little the, washed. It's the age and the and how, how much can he transition his offense to what these quarterbacks are going to become. Yeah. But so, you know, if, if you're – if your polls, your Eberflus, and you're like, man, we got to get this coordinator right, I don't know that you go with a guy who just had trouble developing the first overall pick. Um, Clint Kubiak is my next one, pa- currently passing coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. So, I tried to find a picture of him with Brock Purdy. It wasn't it wasn't in my favor. <laughs> Danny did a great job with the visuals, uh, with just comparing these, and apparently Brock Purdy just doesn't like to take pictures with Clint Kubiak. So... <laughs> Um, also, by the way, for some reason in my brain, when, cause I saw Broncos, when you first texted me and said, I couldn't find a picture with Brock, I thought Osweiler for a half second. And I was like, why would that matter? Well, Brock <laughs> Osweiler Brock. would be about eight inches taller than Russ. <laughs> I'm going to put uh, my best car salesman voice on here. Do you want the Kyle Shanahan McVay scheme? Well, look no further than the Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak tree with Clint Kubiak. Clint Kubiak was hired by his dad in 2016 with the Broncos and then was kept by Vance Joseph. He joined his father again in Minnesota as the Vikings quarterbacks coach in 2019. Gary Kubiak was the assistant head coach under Mike Zimmer, and Kevin Stefanski was the offensive coordinator. Now, Stefanski left the Browns in 2020, right, to, for the Browns, excuse me, in 2020. Gary Kubiak became the offensive coordinator, and then in 2021, he retired. Son replaced him as the Vikings offensive coordinator and play caller for one year. That season, Kirk Cousins passed for 4,221 yards, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and with a 103.1 passer rating. After years spent on Nathaniel Hackett's staff with the Broncos in 2022, where following offensive struggles to start the 2022 season, it was announced that Hackett would relinquish play calling duties to Kubiak. Kubiak then returned to the coaching tree as Kyle Shanahan's passing coordinator in San Francisco. So this is a purely who do you know kind of a thing for me where do you want it? Like I said, a taste of that McVeigh uh, Shanahan tree who, and he's been under a lot of very successful people, you know, Gary, Gary Kubiak, obviously he's right in his ear. Um, he was a big part of that Kirk cousins great year, but how much of that was just Kirk already being Kirk and the, the, the foundation already being there, right. We need to took over, but you know, he's still a younger guy. Um, he could, that would be obviously uh right. For him, that would be a promotion going from passing coordinator to offensive coordinator. Uh, he could be someone that gets some consideration for head coaching gigs, but I think just because of the other young individuals like a Brian and a Ben Johnson, the Harbaugh mm-hmm. stuff, and you have Bill Belichick available now, you know, things like that. Like he might fall by the wayside a little bit. So, again, kind of like Eric Bienemy, you might not get him right away. He might be a later hire than you might want. So, that might be an issue. Yeah, I mean, and you also always have to wonder how much of this is just being attached at the hip to his dad and now Kyle Shanahan, and they're just using all the like-minded voices and in, in, in terminology and in, in terms of the system to just ease transition of like plays and in infighting of the plays or the play designs and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know what Clint, if Clint Kubiak is bad or good for the record. I genuinely don't know. I think he'd be one of the more interesting guys you could hire because he could be awesome. He also could bomb. (laughs) And and that's absolutely the case. So that's, that's the risk you're running with him. 
Um, but definitely an interesting name. He was like my third on my list. I'm saving my my top one for the end here. Um, but moving on now, Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator of the LA Chargers previously and of the Dallas Cowboys previously. Um, so this one I'm very conflicted on. I could make the case that he's my favorite. I could make the case that he's my least favorite. He's He runs a different system than a lot of guys do in the NFL at this moment in time. He does a lot more of the bombs away, let's go F it, fling it deep kind of thing, whereas a lot of guys are going to the, you know, zone-based running, methodical passing attack, just this, that, the other. But then you look at the other side of it, and while I know he's well-respected in NFL circles, like people in the NFL apparently love Kellen Moore. He – Dak actively got better after he left. Yep. The Chargers offense under Justin Herbert, and I get he had the he had the rib thing this year, right, where he was playing with, like, broken rib cartilage or whatever. Yes. So yes. Her- Herbert, I, th- I believe, had one of his not quite as productive seasons in comparison to previous years of his career. But the whole where do where do you want to put the blame on that? Where it was just a dumpster fire being headed by a guy who knew his fate was certain if he didn't win the playoff game this year on Brandon Staley. Like I genuinely don't know. I think he could be a really interesting hire, but I also feel like his system, while I may enjoy watching it from a film standpoint, is also a much harder system to transition quarterbacks into because it requires a much more, I don't want to say classic, but more almost like a risk take, a guy willing to just say F it and throw it every now and again. And I don't know how easy that is to coach into somebody. I mean, and that's interesting, too, because even that is a little – and I was going to bring up the points you did, uh, just the exact same thing. Like, Dak got better with him leaving. Herbert, depending on how you look at the injury and the team as a whole, got worse with him showing up. Um, but just kind of that F it, throw it thought process, you know, let's say you're the Bears and you draft Caleb Williams. Is that a thought process you want to have, knowing he already tends to put on that superhero cape and just does kind of plays outside of the system already – do you want an offensive coordinator that's going to promote more of that? Because in theory, that isn't what happened with, like, let's say, a Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid did the opposite where he said, well, this is how we get you to play in structure and then allow you to go YOLO when we need it. And one one more thing is I think Matt Eberflus, I, I could be wrong on this, was the passing game coordinator slash defensive coordinator during Kellen Moore's final season as a player. I might have the connection mixed up, but I think they know each other through something. And I also believe I want to say Kellen Moore is an athlete's first client, which is something we need to also be aware of the athlete's which, first connection. As a side thing, I'm so over that whole, like, I get it. That's what makes the world go round. Who knows who and all that jazz. But like, I just, just hire the best person. Who cares if they're in the same damn, have the same damn agency. But that We're just coming, but this is the talking point we're going to keep, keep coming back to. I don't think you can get the best ones. I'm stuck. I can see why you would say that, but at the same time, like the chance to not just coach the player that's one one, which would propel you to head coach chances, but the chance to be in the room saying this is the person I want as my as the quarterback that we should take. Like that's huge. I agree. I agree. I, I think it all it's, it's all checks and balances, right? 
for every every positive that you're going to bring up, I could cite the negative. Yeah, but I'm right, so that's all. That yeah, well, of course you are. You're the one with the PhD, not me. Um, we joke. All right, so my <laughs> favorite candidate is someone we didn't think would be available, and someone that football CF Candy asked about earlier. Shane Waldron, offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. Now Pete Carroll was shown his double ARP card and said goodbye. <laughs> we would like you to, to show you the door. So, and they're allowing all of their staff to look elsewhere. He actually borrowed Valus's AARP card for the record. I'm never ready for this. It's a whole different. I need these to be like in a different panel because I have to move to get to it. Um, so now Shane Waldron began his NFL as an operations intern in 2002 and then returned to the Patriots in 2008 as an offensive quality control coach, then tight end coach in 2009. 2016, he was hired by the then Redskins, now commanders, as offensive quality control coach. Who else was on that staff in 2016? Lots of people that it matter. In 2017, tight end coach under Sean McVay. 2018, named passing game coordinator after Matt LaFleur became the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. In 2019, Shane Waldron was promoted to quarterbacks coach after Zach Taylor was named head coach by the Bengals. They spent the last three years of off- as offensive coordinator and play caller for Seattle Seahawks, who has been a part of that Geno Smith resurrection, one could say. Since Waldron's tenure, the Seahawks offense has ranked 10th in EPA per play, 12th in EPA per dropback, 11th in dropback success rate, again with Geno Smith at the helm, DK Metcalf, and kind of a bunch of the rest of it. Advanced analytics also like Shane. According to Stephen Patton of Patton Analytics, you can check out his Twitter, he posted this. When you look at the rankings of offensive play callers after week 18 in terms of personnel and market efficiency with team constraints, Waldron ranks 9th. Compare that to Luke Getze, who ranks 27th, or even head coach candidates like Ben Johnson, who ranks 8th. Bobby Slowick ranked 19th. He's way down that list. So technically, I mean, Shane Waldron did better than them in, in that deep analytic thought process. This is one of those situations where I think it's – I can see where, like, where you're probably going to say you're probably not going to get him for these various reasons. Is he going to get a head coach look or is he going to get a better office coordinator look? But – it's rare that you're going to get a guy like this. He was only on the street because Pete Carroll was shown the door. I th- he the his offense, the connections to you know McVay, the connections to you know that whole Redskins staff. Uh, it's something that I think the Bears really need to consider, and that's why the Bears also have already requested to interview him. Yeah, he is the only interview request, to my knowledge, that we know of at this moment in time. Would I love for them to get him? Absolutely. I think that's about the best you can get. He's That's a top third of the league play caller just on the streets ready and being told, hey, you can go find your next job. That being said, I could see him waiting it out to accept an offensive coordinator job because I think he's going to get some head coaching calls too to interview just based on his successes. We just haven't really heard them yet because a lot of these teams, aside from the commanders, are – kind of early in their process of of interviewing guys and putting together their list because they literally just can't interview some of the best candidates till after the divisional round. Yeah, that well, that shift is uh and is that true for head coach and coordinator positions or just head coach? I think it's just head coach, but I could be wrong on that. But of course that'll affect the candidates who might get an interview or two for head coach. Correct. So in an ideal world, yeah, Shane Waldron, great. I don't know if he's gonna accept necessarily that right away and, and that's when you're 
that that's almost the good news, I think, is that a lot of these candidates, and that's why I said this offseason is so weird, whether it's the Shane Waldrons, whether it's the Frank Reichsrose, the Eric Bieniemies, all these things, you have some people that have that combination of they weren't like necessarily fired for being terrible. It was just weird circumstances. And you can wait to hire that. You don't have to hire someone this week. You like you're fine waiting a bit. Like if you're the Bears, at least I think so. In addition I think to that, you're probably fine waiting a minute. Yeah. Throwing them the, Hey, I can give you the assistant head coach title. I can throw you some extra cash on top of that. You get to coach either. What are your thoughts on Justin Fields? Okay. Maybe you're not a fan of Justin. Well, what you, know, you get to coach one, one, and you can be a head coach candidate in a year or two. If you are able to help develop this person. Yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I totally get that. I just, I, and maybe I'm just being cynical. I just have I mean, a hard time. You have to be. I, I just can't get to this place of your coach has a two-year deal. Why am I going to agree to sign on with you? Especially when Shane Waldron's not going to be cheap. That's not going to be a cheap coordinator to hire. And Eberflus is making what four million dollars a year. You're going to pay your coordinator three. Do you want to? And do you want to enable what happened with Dirk Cotter and Lovey Smith? These are all. all all no, factors all, you have to consider. All factors you have to consider. Um, it's it, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, I think right the the Bears as a whole, George McCaskey, Ryan Poles, Kevin Warren, the way that they talk at least. We'll see with how they walk, but the way that they talk is they are willing to do what needs to get done to create the best team they can, and you don't. I don't think you do that without one of these names that we're talking about. There's, you don't do that with the tier B, then hope it works out. Mm-hmm. But again, maybe that's just me. That's me being more hopeful in the, on that spectrum. Right, and, and there's nothing wrong with hope. God, I, I hope they get Shane Waldron. That's the yeah. best you can probably do. Otherwise, you're looking at one of these coordinators we brought up who are former play callers and, and out of work for a reason. Or you're going to be looking to like guys who have never even tried this before at the NFL level. Like think of Liam Cohen's name. I know people have brought up before out of who's the Kentucky play caller for the Wildcats in college. Another name that was in Indianapolis and crossed over is Marcus Brady. He's currently an offensive analyst or something in Philadelphia, but does anyone want to touch a Philadelphia assistant right now? I'll be the first one to say I was pretty big into Brian Johnson and then, you got to wait for more data points to stack up. You got to get more analysis, and the more you watched it, the more it fell apart. It's like this guy needs more time. You can't just. I just hire I don't. These I really don't want someone that hasn't called plays before. Like neither do I. I don't want the I Marcus don't think Brady. You can that. Marcus Brady equals senior office. I'm just looking off a list now. Equals senior offensive assistant. He isn't. Plus, that equals offense has not been good as you just talked about. Brian Callahan with the Bengals. He's an offensive coordinator, but he doesn't call plays. Um, we talk about well, Mike LaFleur. Why would Brian Callahan leave? Oh. Like, you're going to leave Joe Burrow? Well, yes. Well, you would leave because you have a chance to call plays and build your resume. That's the, that's the reason you would leave. Zach Robinson's another name on there, like the Rams passing game coordinator. Like, he could be great. I have, there's nothing to go off of. He just, it's a tree. You're, you're betting on a tree. And truth be told, I don't think Zach Taylor's that good, and you bet on the tree. Yeah, he's just got Joe Burrow. Yeah, I think Taylor sucks. Um, 
I'm not going to get into my Zach Taylor rant, though. Wait. <laughs> Wait. Wait. No, I'm saying, no, the brakes. Guys, why aren't the brakes working? Because I cut the brakes. Wild card, bitches. Yeah. What? That brings us to our wild card option. Uh, Dan and I both said that this we have to talk about this. Greg Roman, former offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, this is the – we're keeping Justin Fields one in all reality. I mean, you're not bringing him in and drafting someone. So if they were to, to hire Greg, they've played their hand. Um, what, what, why would Greg Roman work here in Chicago, Danny? So it's funny to say. I remember – because there was a time, like even the Eber flu's hire cycle, where I was like – I can justify seeing this as a, head, a viable head coaching candidate because of what he – he is truly elite at the thing he does well. He is the probable, if not arguable, best offensive run designer in the NFL who's not actually in the NFL right now. And this was even before he was coaching high school football, which is what he's doing right now. Like – the way he designs runs, how he gets the quarterback involved in the runs. There's no one else who does this as well as he does. That being said, the only thing he's really good at designing passing game wise is getting his tight ends open. (laughs) He's very painfully limited. It's like NAIA level play calling of, of offensive passing schemes. It's not good. That, and he, and because you call that you're very hyper-specific to one kind of quarterback and you're very capped at what your offense can become. That being said, I know everyone likes to 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 shit on him almost. Lamar Jackson won an MVP under him, throwing to Willie Sneed as his number one target. The guy has never had an offensive DVOA under 15 in all his years calling plays for the Niners and the Baltimore Ravens. He is very, very good at what he does. The offensive brand he football he pl- uh, he calls is not aesthetically pleasing. It is effective, but it's limited and it's capped. This is the this is the either if he's brought in his OC, I could totally see him being the reason to keep Justin. That being said, I also can foresee a scenario if it were to go this way where I had a, a little birdie tell me they went very hard after Greg Roman this past offseason to add on to Luke Getz's staff to make him some sort – to put him in some sort of position on the staff. I don't know if it was like a Phil Snow type position, if it was a run. I, I don't know. I'm I, All I know is they went hard after him, but the Ravens were paying him $2.5 million to go away. And he probably just wanted to take a year off after everything that was going on in Baltimore. It's stressful for these coaches. So as an offensive coordinator, I'm probably balking at it. But if I think what could happen happens, where you bring him in as like a senior offensive advisor, run game coordinator, go nuts. It's interesting. Um, Because like like I said, to start this this section off, you're definitely not bringing him in thinking like, hey, we're we're drafting a quarterback. And you could pretend to, but, but that's not happening. If you did bring him in, you I think you have to hire like a passing game coordinator to, to be in charge of that and just let and Greg has to be okay with saying, Okay, this is you. Um, 
So, you know, maybe you are going to the Shanahan tree of someone that's looking to step up in the world from one of those, you know, intern assistants or whatever. And mm -hmm. you think they could do something like that. You know, Lamar didn't seem to miss him too much when, when Roman left. I mean, Lamar's and, and that's also because too, too prompt. The weapons are better outside of Mark Andrews than they've ever been. And Monkin's a really good football coach. And I was going to say, I mean, you, I remember a game I was sitting in the press box watching a Tyler Huntley led Ravens team take a dookie on the bears under Greg Roman. So that matters, you know, San Francisco, he was from San Francisco to the Buffalo bills. to The Ravens was his path. He's produced a top five rushing offense in every season, but one that he's been an offensive coordinator. The outlier was the number eight rushing offense in 2011 with the 49ers. His best passing offense was, was 13th in 2021. And his second best was 23rd in 2002 with the 49ers. So that's Greg Roman. I mean, he he's painfully limited, but the thing he does well, he's, absolutely elite at there's so you, and yeah if and so one of the problems that danny's brought up throughout this where a lot of these individuals potentially being an offensive coordinator is are you attaching yourself to a as we talked about potential a lame duck head coach whether it's you know two years or so if you're the bears and you're sitting there and you're struggling to find an offensive coordinator or you're sitting there and you're saying you know what we are going to roll with justin because we have a trade offer from the uh patriots to move up the Who's sitting at three right now? Sorry, the commander. Uh, who's at three? Three is the Patriots. Two is the Commanders. The Patriots move from three to one, and it's blowing our minds out of the, the damn door. Yeah, we can make Justin work for that. Like that's that's the way this works. But you're making this hire sooner rather than later. You, you're not waiting very long. Right. So, um, one last thing before we get out of here. Is there one offensive coordinator name you've heard floating around out there that you would hate? Someone you would just be like, what are we doing here? Not really. There hasn't been one. Oh, I take that back. Cliff Kingsbury offends the hell out of me. Thank, I literally have written right. That's the name <laughs> I've written here. Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury offends the absolute hell out of me. Static offense. He and Caleb apparently, I think was reported, did not see eye to eye at USC. It's why he left. USC after a year, right? Like I'm not making that up in my brain. He's gone. He's no longer a Trojans coach. I think so. Like, something like that. Like, and I get you don't, and you want to talk about a tell. If you hire Cliff Kingsbury to be your football coach, oh, you're, you're drafting Caleb Williams. You're drafting Caleb Williams. And if that is, if I'm remembering that correctly, you're drafting a, you're you're hiring a coach you already know they don't like each other. What? <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah, no, the idea of Cliff Kingsbury offends the absolute hell out of me. It's handsome, the handsome man, seems like a good enough dude. Stay away from my football team. It's the low-hanging fruit. I mean, yes, he's got NFL experience as a head coach of four seasons. Yes, Kyle Murray was named to two Pro Bowls under his watch. Um, you know, Spike 21, Murray's third was third in the NFL, which was Murray's third in the NFL. He ranked second in completion percentage and seventh in QBR, all that. All of that is true, but there also was a hard fall-off in – with 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 the Cardinals, there's all that funkiness going on with Caleb at USC. It's it's a name connection. It, it wasn't even a person connection. It doesn't even make any sense. Agreed. All right. That being said, one last thing I wanted to throw out on Waldron that I found really interesting floating around the Twixterverse earlier. He runs the most thirteen personnel of any offensive play caller in the league. Oh my god! And that just. Because I am, I, I'm just a – anyone who follows me on draft Twitter or whatever knows I'm an absolute caricature of myself. 
there are certain things I like. If you're going to run and put out tight end heavy sets, you're probably going to have me as a fan just because I think no one else does it anymore and it's fun. Is it a way to build your offense? No, absolutely not. But when you're running it at 13% of the time, it at least adds a wrinkle that you don't see very often anymore. Let's – okay, I, I know we're supposed to get out of here, but now you've sparked a question in my brain. So let's say <laughs> Shane Waldron was, was hired as offensive coordinator. You Bring take back Mercedes Lewis. <laughs> that was going to be part of the question. You draft – I don't care. You draft a quarterback at one, uh, whichever one that might be. Ba- Bowers at nine. That was going to be like my question. Absolutely. Are you taking Powers at nine, even though he's like a power slot? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh my god! I, there's a couple people who I know's brain would explode at that, not from excitement, but from sadness. But I think that would be fun. Oh, could you imagine like Cole Komet, Brock Bowers, and then like say for some reason Greg Roman agrees to be his running game coordinator with how all the stuff he designs for tight ends? Just fun. Just fun it's stuff. Not, it's not going to happen, but it's fun. I get oh, so one question then for you. Mm-hmm. Just at this moment, they you know we all hear things. We've we've all made friends that can sometimes say a little birdie said something to us. Yeah. You who would you say or what is your prediction for how the offensive coordinator hire goes? In terms of who it is or the process, like who, who you're like who it is like right now you have to make a prediction. Who do you think is going to be hired as the offensive coordinator? Um, I'm, I'm going to say Shane Waldron. I just, you think they're going to land him? Good. I think they're going to land him for a combination of a couple things. Some things I will say, some things I won't, but just in terms of, I think there's just right now, the mentality of the people making decisions is different than it has been in the past in this Bears front office. And they see an opportunity that's there. And so therefore financially clout wise, et cetera, a, a push will be made. Whether that push is accepted is the question mark. Okay. Um, my prediction is actually the man you have on the screen. I think it'll end up being Daryl Bevel. Oh, look at that. Where it turned out right. So it, it's just, th- this is no birdie thing. I do. I could see a world where because of the style of football he plays or he calls, specifically from the biggest sample size we have back in the Legion of Boom days. That's actually where I could see the the, the Greg Roman thing playing out as an as a senior assistant and, and run game coordinator. That would be very interesting. Well, that's what we got for you. Hopefully you all enjoyed this. Um, we will touch base in terms of what we're all ultimately going to be doing here for Bare Bones moving forward. Probably a little break, honestly, unless some crazy news drops that we need to talk about. Um we will do some mock drafts. I don't know if we'll do it as heavy as we did last time for a variety of reasons, but uh, we will be around during this off season for sure. Maybe we'll get to do some combine stuff. I'm trying to make things happen. We'll see. Um, but other than that, anything you have to add, Danny, before you get out of here? No, I mean, next time I'm on, on one of these shows, chances are my little girl will be here and we'll be, my wife and I'll be raising uh, our little, our little baby. So yay, everyone, and, you know, and shout out to, to Danny. Yay. Shout out to the job, man. 12 weeks of paternity leave. Get to be home with my wife and kid for a little bit. Oh, think of all the film you're going to get to watch. Dude, I'm so excited. Get to get to hold my, my little girl teaching her how to watch football film. It's going to be great. <laughs> That's a dig route. <laughs> this is called a dagger. <laughs> all right, everyone. Bear the hell down. <laughs>